Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Garland Vance online. Garland, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me here, Michael. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. You're the author of Getting Unbusy, which in the pre-show we were talking about how busy is such a bad word with us because it it, it has so many bad connotations based on our, both of our personal journeys. So tell us a little bit about the book and you know, I want to dive in specifically on, on the burnout section of it because uh, that's definitely an interesting backstory that you have when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because busyness in most of the world is actually a good word. It's a word that people use to really brag about their condition of life. You know, so think about uh, for most people, if they go into a Starbucks or go see a friend somewhere that they haven't seen for a few weeks and they'll ask them, how are you doing? And the typical response is, oh, I'm doing really good. I'm just so busy. And uh, what I discovered in my doctoral studies, which started because of my own near-death experience with burnout, is that um, busyness is actually killing us. And if we don't deal with it, and if we don't kill it, it is going to kill us. It will. And it nearly did with me. You know, when yeah. my burnout um, you know, nearly took my life 11 years ago. And needless to say, um, I didn't want that to happen again. So I had to address my burnout because I, I refer to this a lot where after my year of worst case scenarios, I really had three choices. One, I could have just said, hey, I survived all that. Okay, I must be Superman. So I'll just continue on my way and not change a thing. Or I could have played the victim and just blamed everybody but myself because they were the ones that uh, gave me that brown bag of junk food that I ate mm. for three meals a day or blame my bosses for you know, taking my job or the banks for you know, doing what they did with, with my car and my home. Or option three was, okay, I am very fortunate to be here at this moment and obviously there's something else I need to be doing in my life. So let's get myself better, healthier, smarter, wiser on all of these things, learn how to prevent burnout and never have it happen to me again, which I did all of that. And then there was the, it's like, okay, well, glad you did that, but now you need to focus on helping others with it. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't see that line in the contract there, but I'm actually thankful it did because it was something that resonated with me and it was a career shift for me. You know, if you had asked me prior to my, you know, my cardiac event, I wouldn't have said, Oh, I'm going to do all of these things, a podcast show, writing, you know, speaking publicly, working with clients on stuff. No, that, that wasn't on the radar for my plans in life at all. So uh, it was definitely one of those things where it was a pivot and I went with it and I've said, okay, I'm not going to fight this. It's like, this is where things are going. I'm just going to take this ride and see where it goes. And, and it's been quite the journey, but, um, and, and obviously with you and your, with your burnout and understanding how being really busy, especially in leadership roles, can be really problematic because 
again, there's no shortage of work. There's no shortage of things to do in a leadership role. The key is, and I'm guessing you allude to this a lot uh, when you're working with people or talking about this, is yes, there's all those things to do, but doesn't mean you need to do all of those things. Right. Right, absolutely. And and for me, it was an experience where I started having all of these physical problems, uh, chronic migraine headaches, uh, physical exhaustion. I would wake up exhausted, go to bed exhausted. I was having extreme forgetfulness uh, and heart palpitations. I'd be sitting at my desk checking email and all of a sudden I would start pouring sweat and my heart would start racing. And so I went to the doctor because of those physical symptoms that I was having. And, and the doctor said, well, you know, tell me about your life. And I said, oh, my life is really good. It's just busy. And he said, well, tell me about this really good, busy life. And I said, well, I, you know, I work 50 to 60 hours a week with this nonprofit that I, that I love. And I spend 10 to 20 hours a week working on my doctorate in leadership. And I have three young kids at home and they're all involved in a few activities. And my wife and I are helping our church create some leadership development programs and just began to explain all of these good commitments that I had made. And my doctor put his hand on my shoulder and he looked me in the eye and he said, Garland, I'm concerned for your life. This is stress and this stress is caused by your busyness. And I think the worst part for me is I wasn't telling my doctor about the mental and emotional toll that I was experiencing, how I was resenting anytime my kids would come and ask me to do anything, I resented them for it. I was angry at them for needing help. And this nonprofit that I was working with, uh, uh, we were uh, doing leadership development with college students and I would fake phone calls so that I could avoid talking to students. And it wasn't because I didn't love them, but it was because I was so emotionally burned out that I, I just wanted to, to give up. So I told my doctor about all these physical problems, but I didn't tell him about all of the emotional problems that I was experiencing. And when he said, your, this is stress and this stress is caused by your busyness, that's when I really said, I'm going to see if he's right because it didn't sound right to me, right? I, we're busy. We're supposed to be busy. It, it didn't sound right to me, but I knew if he was right, that busyness was going to kill me. And so that's when I ended up focusing my doctoral research on what busyness does to leaders and to organizations. And that was what ended up resulting in the publication of this book. And, and in large part, a, a, a huge section of what I consider my life's work of making busyness a bad word in our society. Well, it definitely is. And at the time of this recording, we're in the middle of a pandemic and so many people have more time than they did before as far as being able to make choices on things. We all get the same amount of time, right. uh, but they've got a little bit more flexibility in their time. They don't have a commute right now because they're not driving to and from work in many cases. Uh, for some, they may be laid off or in between jobs. So there's some dynamics with that, but it's this time that I highly encourage people to take this time and really 
look and see, okay, what is my life looking like? Here's an opportunity to redesign some things because we have this opportunity to do that. Um, and that could be a job change. That could be a relocation. That could be all kinds of things. It's, it, it, the sky's the limit as far as what anybody would want to do if they want to make some changes in their life. This is a great time to start looking at those. And with clarity, because if, if when you're, when I've, brain into problems especially with my burnout is clarity goes out the window you and you alluded to that when you couldn't think straight you had pretend phone calls so you wouldn't interact with people you were angry with your kids because they were interrupting you um and it, it's very similar I, I remember some of that as well because my my kids were 10 and under at the time of my mm-hmm. burnout and uh, you know, obviously, I'm very remorseful about that aspect of things, but you know, now, you know, of course, they still have a dad here to yeah. to help them and guide them now as they're, you know, uh, adults now, which is still kind of alarming to me. But um, it, 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 you, you blink and you go, oh, well, wait a minute, you do the math. Okay, born this, it's now this. Subtract. Okay, yeah, okay, that's how they got to that age, All right? I get it now. I should know that being a former accountant, uh, but it's still, it's, it's, it's how did that happen? And it's, you know, like my dad told me years ago, so as soon as you get your driver's license, hold on, life just starts flying by, and it's not because you're driving fast. Uh, mm. it, it, it does. But you know, I guess one of the things I was going to ask you too is in your book, what are some things that you guide leadership uh, individuals to do to yeah. Um, ease this uh, busyness journey and get back into more of a harmonious type of way of of living and working so they are accomplishing more but they're not quote-unquote busy because right. they're just doing it correctly yeah well uh, so let me give a little bit of a preface before I even uh, talk about how um, to uh, how an individual goes through it uh, when I when I started researching this, one of my commitments was I still wanted to be a high achiever. I wanted to be a type A personality. I kind of like being a type A personality, but I didn't like that I had this type B spirit about, I mean, this type A spirit about me. I needed to have a calmer spirit. And so I really set out in researching this for my own self and then in, in, uh, Uh, writing it for other people of saying, I want you to continue to be a type A personality, but to do it in a way where you stress less and actually accomplish more. And so for an individual to do that, I I take them through five steps. Uh, And the first step is you have to decide that busyness isn't worth it. You're going to look at the the physical, mental, emotional, relational uh, effects of busyness, the, the effects on your productivity, and even the effects on entire companies and organizations and decide that busyness isn't worth it. And once you make that decision, the second step is you begin to deconstruct some of the inhibiting beliefs and bad habits uh, and even some of the unwanted commitments that you have. Uh, And this is the biggest mistake that I see most people make is they go from deciding that they're too busy to jumping immediately into making plans about how their life is going to change. They don't deconstruct some of these uh, inhibiting beliefs and commitments. And so they start making plans, which means they add more commitments to an overcommitted life. 
And so I want them to go through this deconstruction phase first. And and really, it's one of my biggest concerns, Michael, with the post-COVID world is I think a lot of people, as you mentioned, have more time now or, or more freedom in their time because they're not commuting to work. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to are adding more and more commitments to their lives uh, without thinking about what they need to uncommit from in order to live sustainably when life goes back to normal. So they're adding, you know, they're going to create a podcast or add a blog or start their side hustle. And those are great things. But what happens when you go back to normal life? How do you cram all of that in there? You can't do it unless you've deconstructed some areas of your life. Uh, So after a person deconstructs, they design the life that they want to live. uh, uh, And that's, uh, you actually start with what's the pace of life that I want to live at? And how do I make uh, room in my life for relationships, recreation, rest, and reflection? Uh, And so you design those things, then you develop. uh, And I I really take people through developing a calendar, uh, developing an unbusy mind um, so that your calendar is a proactive tool for you rather than reactive. You know, when somebody says you want to do something, you just look and see if you have white space. That's a a terrible way to manage a calendar, uh, but it's pretty common. Uh, And then finally, you draw other people in. You bring in your family, your friends, and your coworkers. Because the truth is, being unbusy is so counter-cultural in our world that if you tell people that you're unbusy, they're going to look at you like you're lazy unless they can see that you're actually accomplishing more than they are, but you're doing it in less time. One of my favorite books, you know, obviously yours is is ranking high up there too, is Essentialism from Greg McCowan. And the reason why I like that book, and it's when I first read it, I read it with the mindset of things in in life. You know, don't have you know houses of stuff, and you only have one house. It's like get get the you know not necessarily being a minimalist, but get the things that are essential to you in your life as far as things are concerned. But in life as a whole in leadership and running a business and doing the things you do, what's essential to you right now? And I share that concern that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago on people are loading up and they're finally getting to that bucket list of things that they've wanted to do. And now all of a sudden they've got a busy life right now while they're off of work. Well, eventually people are going to be going back to work and calling them back into the office and they're going to go, well, then now what? Because then they're going to be like you. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm working 60 hours. I've got the kids and I've got this, you know, schooling and this and this. And like, then they're just completely wiped out. And it's amazing. And the calendar thing is is spot on with people that I talk with. I, 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 I hammer that home so much because we control our time. We do. A lot of people don't think they do. A lot of people think, well, my boss controls my time. It's like, you you've worked out an arrangement, you're going to exchange time for money type of situation. And you've got that typically in a block, you know, sometimes there's some abuse or some boundaries issues as far as working hours are concerned. But overall, you know, when you're typically going to be working, but for so many people, they, they fill in that white space with basically junk drawer type activity. They just, instead of segmenting it and doing it in certain days and having plans for it, they just literally take the junk drawer, just throw it and see what sticks. And then they're scattered because they're, they're doing all kinds of different things where 
things that I do, I tend to have themes for my days. So I know on Mondays yeah. what I do, Tuesdays what I do, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, you know, the rest of the week. Even during a pandemic, you know, my my better half and I, we we joke, and, you know, we don't even bother identifying the day. We say happy day, and you know, we <laughs> we just because the days kind of blend in a way, but not yeah. so much because. You know, I have the themes for my day because Wednesdays I do podcasts. You know, Tuesdays are for follow-ups or client calls. Mondays I, I work on you know, speaker submissions. And then Thursday, Friday, I keep basically wide open for either you know, follow-ups that couldn't happen before or the opportunities for something to come up. Now, yeah. and, and the weekends are, are sacred. You know, I yeah. don't, I, I, I use them for basically coffee or tea and content creation and just, you know, just doing the things you do on the weekend. And that's, that's crucial. And, I, yeah. and for everybody, it's different. I don't tell them, don't follow this map. It's like, figure out what works for you. And, and another thing that I, I tell people to do is, Obviously, with a food journal, because a lot of people forget that food actually controls you know the type of energy you have, so right. you need to eat properly. But I, I, I take it a step further with them. So, one, document your food, but secondly, document your energy, because mm-hmm. then you can figure out food intolerances and whatnot. But also, I and this was a discovery for me, where I like working on tasks first thing in the morning because I'm alert. I'm in this motivated action mode type of thing, and by afternoon. Please don't ask me to analyze a spreadsheet. I don't want to figure, you know, okay, if a pivot table is not working in Excel, then we're all in trouble because I won't have the capacity to do it because I'm not good at that in the afternoon. I'm more inclined to, that's when you have conversations or listen to music or just do go at an easier pace. So that way, at the end of your quote-unquote work day, you're not in this jammed rush thing. It's so it's again, and, and many people can take control of how they do things. And yeah. unfortunately, so often they delegate uh, that to somebody else, which is not healthy for them. Right. And I think one of the exercises that I take people through in my book is, uh, is identifying your boundaries. So I think there are actually three types of boundaries that you need to write into your calendar. Uh, the first type of boundary is the, the workday boundary. Um, and for the, the workday boundary, that means that if five o'clock is your cutoff time, you actually write that into your calendar. I, for so many people, and I did this for years, I knew that five o'clock was when I was officially off but I wouldn't leave the office until 5.30, 5.45, you know, or even later because there were still things to do. And by putting a boundary into your day and saying this is the cutoff time, we start uh, using Parkinson's law that work expands to fill the time allotted. So I always uh, encourage people to put a, a, a work boundary in their calendar. And then I encourage them to, as a family to put an end of day boundary in their calendar. And the end of day boundary is where you as a family say, no matter what is going on, when we get to this time, we, we're done with work projects around the home or with cleaning up the kitchen or anything along those lines. So for my family now, it's about nine o'clock at night, right? I've got older kids and and so they can stay up a little bit later. But we know when nine o'clock hits, we're not doing any more 
uh, house projects. We're, we're done and we're going to spend a couple of hours as a family or just spending some decompression time. And so you've got workday boundaries, you've got end of day boundaries. And then the third is a task boundary. And those are for those tasks uh, specifically that you absolutely hate to do. But you will find if, uh, you know, I hate cleaning the bathroom. Absolutely hate it. And I'm very glad that my children have gotten old enough where I can pay them to do that for me. But before that, I would always say, I think I can do this in an hour. And if I could do it in an hour, I'd say, but I can do this in 50 minutes. And I would just kind of create this little boundary of time. And what was amazing to me is the more that I shrank the time, the more efficient I became in doing this task that I hated to do. And so creating some task boundaries on your calendar where you are looking at the spreadsheet that you don't want to look at, you could say, I'm going to do this for 30 minutes. And it's amazing how much you can get done in that time simply because you've put a deadline on yourself. I love that exercise. And yes, we all have those tasks that we absolutely despise. And um, if we have child labor within our grasp, <laughs> it's it's great to utilize that. Uh, yes. Yeah, children's services, please don't come after me. I'm, I'm they're all adults now, so um, you know, it's now just you know indentured servitude, I guess, is another way to put it. But no, it's good. And and of course, we hide it under the veil as, well, soon you're going to have your own place and you're going to need to do this. So this is just practice. You can get really efficient at it. And and they read right through that for some reason because, well, they're they're offspring of us and they they know what what we say and and how truthful sometimes it is. Yeah, one of my kids said to me recently, Dad, why don't you ever give me tasks to do that you enjoy? You'll figure that out when you're a dad. <laughs> exactly. That's, it's called dad rules. Awesome. So Garland, <laughs> loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Yeah. So go to gettinunbusybook.com. So it's getting no G at the end, G-E-T-T-I-N, unbusybook.com. And they can actually get six free chapters there so that they can check out what is actually what I'm talking about and uh, understanding that a lot of people think that busyness is a good thing. And so I want to convince you in those six chapters that it's killing you and that you can kill it instead. Thank you so much. I'll definitely have that in the show notes. And boy, I wish you had that book out uh, about 20 years ago. I would have, I probably, I don't know if I would have read it or not, but at that point, because that was a completely different uh, mindset back then, but uh, I've definitely you know read it now and it's, it's an amazing book. So congratulations on that and appreciate you and the time you've given us today. All right. Thanks so much, Michael. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.